Like a deer in the headlights or gum in your hair, what got you here will not get you there. Join us as business owners get unstuck in real time on the business building struggles we all share. Welcome to the Business Breakthrough Podcast. And here's your host, Esty Rand. Welcome to episode 90 of the Business Breakthrough Podcast. 90, that's a big number. My guest today is Gabrielle Chapier. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to have you guys. Gabrielle is going to talk about some really cool stuff with us today. Gabrielle Chapier is a marketing automation specialist who spent the last 16 years at the crossroads of design, technology, and online education. Besides helping coaches put their businesses on autopilot, she's worked with Fortune 50 companies, international best-selling authors, and world-renowned motivational speakers to grow their business and expand their reach. That sounds good. I like bios. The bio's good. I I always critique the bios on the way into the show. (laughs) She started her freelance business 10 years ago and decided to stay at home with her children instead of going back to corporate, which I can totally relate to. And after struggling with six years of stagnation that came from focusing on the wrong things while she juggled small children, client projects, and you know, that pesky need for sleep, she transformed her business and documented all the lessons she learned along the way in her book, Secret Weapon. She lives outside the mountains in Canada with her family and a small menagerie of animals. She's not up to her elbows in tech. She's usually covered in paint or picking up something in the kitchen. This is a fun bio. I feel like you and I have a lot in common already. I do. I have five kids. I also left my job when it became toxic. Um, And I also, among my many billion jobs in my history, um, I've taught painting classes. Oh, cool. So um, I feel like like we're going to have... A lot to chat about. So tell me a little bit about what what did you do before? Like what was the corporate? What was the transition? You know, many women have this where they're working, they're professional, and then they have kids and they're like, oh, that doesn't work for me anymore. I can't do both of these things. And then, you know, coming out of that, what was that like for you? Yeah. So that's funny. You know, it's hilarious because I never, ever, ever had any designs to be an entrepreneur or a business owner. Like never. I grew up, um, my mom was a single mom and raising two kids and she was an entrepreneur. So she had like all these various businesses and was never around. So my sister and I were basically raised by a litany of family members and nannies and babysitters and stuff. And you know, we had a good life. My mom did well for us, but she was just never there. So I grew up going like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have that in my life for my kids. I want like a steady job so I can come home and be around for them. And so I went to school and that was my end goal. I became a graphic designer and I just worked at various companies throughout the years, just always kind of climbing the ranks, getting new jobs, going to new companies. And just on that path of my, you know, end goal was to be like a creative director an artistic director. That was like my end goal. And when I was 24, I was headhunted by Shell Canada. And they needed someone with that web design and graphic design background to help them create all of their in-class training and turn them into online training because they had all these millennials and like Gen Xers coming in and nobody wanted to sit through like a four hour safety presentation anymore. So they were moving their, all of their training to online. So they said, okay, don't worry about any of the other stuff. You don't need to know about how to train people. We just need your design skills. And I said, cool. So 
I jumped at the chance, but in order to take the contract, I had to be an incorporated company because they wouldn't work with contractors otherwise. So I begrudgingly walked down to the registration office and opened my company, just thinking that it would be just for this contract. And you know, that would be it. And then when I got pregnant two years after working for Shell, I realized that since I was a contractor, I didn't get maternity leave. I didn't have all those fun, you know, EI benefits that Canadians up here enjoy. And so I kind of had that choice. I was like, I could either go back to corporate, you know, two months after my boy was born, or I could do something with this business that I had. So I decided to make it work. And I had no business training whatsoever at all. <laughs> and it You're was really crazy. an accidental business owner. I Almost am like a forced business. It's not even an accident. You're like a forced business owner. They're like, you will be a business if you want to be our employee. And you're like, okay. Yeah. I was like, fine. Okay. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> that's, that's what it was. And, uh, yeah, so I just said, okay, well, I've got this company technically. Um, I could probably do something with it. Um, why don't I just do that? So I started getting some freelance clients and working at home, you know, watching my kids. And yeah, but it was how do you just, even do that? How do you start? Like, I, I love when people say that, and I, I'm sorry, I, I pick on everyone who says that because that's always how it's said. Oh, I started getting these clients, and all listeners who don't know how to do this are like, how? did you get those clients? Like wh what was the gap between I don't have money to I have people paying me money? <laughs> like what was in that space? Well, actually I really lucked out because one of the girls I went to high school with and we had kind of kept in touch, she started a women's business association in the city. And we were just friends on Facebook. I was kind of, you know, chatting with her about her kids and we kept in touch. We were friendly. And when I realized I was like, Oh God, how do I get clients? And I was a little bit lucky because Shell did kind of throw me a bone and gave me like small projects to work on. So I wasn't like completely without any income right from the start. Um, but I basically just made it a point to show up in her world as much as possible because she had all of these other business owners in this association. And I just started getting in their good graces. I went to a couple little networking meetings and um, I joined her association. So I was a paying member. I think it was like 25 bucks a month or something. And at that point I was like, Ooh, that's pricey. Right? <laughs> but it worked out. So I started getting a couple clients here and there, a couple little websites, a couple, you know, brochure designs, business cards, branding, that kind of thing. And it just kind of slowly started gaining momentum and I started really focusing on referrals because I really didn't have any money for marketing there was no advertising dollars <laughs> so what did you do to get referrals like what was what did it mean to focus on it for you well really I had to get over my fear of asking for it because I didn't really have any sales experience and I, I had that mentality of oh sales are icky I don't want to force people to work with me but really, I just kind of, I realized at one point, because Carol, the lady who ran this business association, she said, I love having you as my go-to person to recommend for this kind of stuff. She's like, it's amazing. Whenever anybody is like, oh, I need a designer. I need a web developer. She's like, oh, I've got Gabby, you know, and she says, it makes me feel so awesome knowing that I can recommend you. And I was like, it was like a light bulb kind of turned on. And I was like, oh, okay. So if I tell people that they can refer me and that I'm looking for referrals and like this is exactly what I do I'm actually kind of doing them a favor because they've got someone to recommend and then I was thought okay well in my own life I love having that person that I can recommend oh I know the, the perfect person for you here let me just connect you with this person 
And, uh, and that's just really that little mindset shift made a big difference. So I started creating this little, like, I call it the referral engine. And essentially it's just asking a whole lot, like over and over and over again. And it's not being too pushy. It's just, Oh, Hey, by the way, did you know, you know, I'm accepting new clients. If you know of anybody that's like you or who needs this or X, Y, or Z, then totally feel free to shoot me as a referral. And then I kind of developed a little bit further. I started giving people incentives. You know, if you refer five customers my way, I'll, you know, give you 25% off your next product. Uh, if you send me 10 customers, then I'll give you free maintenance on your websites for life. And this was just kept that engine going. And really over the last 10 years, I haven't really done much marketing or advertising. It's been pretty much word of mouth for my marketing automation business. I really like that. And one of the things I like about it is just, I really believe there are many paths to success, right? No one's got to choose their own. And we had someone on the show a couple of weeks ago who's like big into referral marketing. And her thing is never ask. She's like, you never ask. And this is how you, and she has a whole system of how you get referrals without ever asking for them. And uh, that'll work for some people. And I love how you're like, no, ask. I built a referral engine by asking. And that's what works for you. And that is what's going to work for someone else. And, and to me, that's just amazing, right? What bothers me so much is that so much of what's out there in marketing is like this way or nothing. Right? It's my way or the highway. This is the only thing that works. And it's just absolutely not true. There are so many different ways. So how did you overcome? Because I, I always like to ask the questions I think my listeners are, are thinking in their head, which is like, that's so awkward. How did you get over the awkwardness of that to go and ask people? And doesn't it come across as desperate? And did they think you were desperate? And then do you have to like be cheaper for that? Because a lot of people go, like, I want to be premium. But if I ask for referrals, I can't be premium because it sounds like I need business. Like, how did you deal with that? Well, I think really, I mean, all of those ideas are not mutually exclusive. You know, you can ask for referrals and still be premium. Because generally, if you're working with premium clients, their network are going to be other premium clients, right? They're not going to be recommending you to someone who they don't think is going to be a good fit for you. They're still going to kind of make that decision in their mind. But, and you know, that comment you made about how there is all of this like blanket statements out there. And that was a big thing in that first six years of my business. Everything that I just took everything by rote. And I didn't tweak and adjust it for what was going on in my business. So like you said, with the referrals, she says not to ask. I say ask, but usually anybody out there is probably going to be somewhere in the middle. They're going to find that sweet spot for them. They're going to take an idea from maybe her technique and they're going to take an idea from maybe my technique and then they're going to create their own. Right. And when I started really making big changes in my business, it was when I started taking action on this business advice that was more blanket, but then really making those changes that I knew needed to happen because of my own business. So a lot of the marketing and business advice that I was getting was from like e-commerce businesses or like B2B businesses or B2C businesses, which weren't really, didn't really look like my little business running from my little office at home. So I would try what they do. And then if it didn't work, I'd try to figure out why. And it was sometimes I couldn't, you know, I'd be like, I don't know why this doesn't work. Well, I guess I'm just not going to do it, obviously. But other times it was like, oh, well, this kind of worked. But maybe if I tweak it a little bit, 
because, you know, I don't have a team of 12 people behind me. So maybe that'll work. And then when I started actually like taking action and, and implementing and then feeling free to change it and making those tweaks and adjusting it as I went and really giving myself grace to be like, I don't have to get it right, right off the bat. You know, I can experiment and have fun with this. And that's really when I started seeing huge shifts in my business. I hear that. No, that, that makes so much sense. And I, I'd love to say that everyone should do that from day one, but I almost feel like, and, and tell me if you agree, that in the beginning, it, it's almost impossible to do that because you just don't even know what you don't know. And so I, what I kind of want people to do is instead of being swayed by every current, just absorb it all until you can choose your path. What, what people do, when you're first going out there, you don't have enough information, knowledge, experience to start you know, making those decisions of what you're gonna pull and whatnot. Um, but instead of just acting on every piece of advice that comes your way as gospel, you can say, okay, that's one path. Let me see what else there is. Oh, that's one, let me see what else there is. And then when you feel like you've gathered enough data, if you will, now start investigating, okay, where did that one come from? Where did that one come from? And how can I chart my path based on all these different things that theoretically work for others? Does that, would that make sense, you think? Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I've always kind of had this thirst for knowledge. So like I call myself a marketing junkie. Like I love learning about marketing and not just because it's what I do for my customers, but I just, I love how everybody has a different take on things. How There's always new strategies. There's always new tactics. There's always new techniques. So I just like drink it in like a sponge. And a lot of it is just kind of like, oh, that's cool. Well, I'll just put that on the shelf, right? Or, or file it away for later. So when I started actually getting to that point and like, Mind you, by the time that I actually started implementing and taking action on all of this stuff, I had already been in business for six years. So that was just six years of me just learning and doing everything the hard way, right? And once I reached that point, I just kind of started reaching back into that store of knowledge of just of all of those blog articles I had read, all of those, you know, courses and programs and all of the, you know, PDFs that I had in the to read file, right? Yeah, I think we all have one of those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just started going through it. And yeah, and like you said, there was a lot of stuff where I just said, oh, no, that's not going to work for me, you know? And that's all, oh, okay, maybe that's like the, on the maybe pile, right? <laughs> and then you just got to kind of test them out and tweak them as you go. Totally. hundred percent. And that's, that's really the only way. It's one of the things we teach. We have a marketing magic course where basically business owners learn to never waste money on marketing again. And in the last module, I teach them how to test and optimize. And they're like, but shouldn't it just work the first time? I'm like, no. <laughs> it never does. You it know, never does. No. Once in a while, maybe you'll just get lucky, but you know, it'll work somewhat. It's you. You do your best guess. You use strategy, and it should work at some level if you've thought it through well. But is it perfect out the door? No. Part of getting it to work is that whole optimization process. Is the testing? Is the iterations? It's it's all of that. So it sounds like you started as graphic design, but now you said you do more marketing automation. So how has the business kind of shifted? How many years are you doing this for at this point? Uh, so when I started in when I graduated in two thousand and three, I was like, I'm going to be a graphic designer because I did like a, a two year certificate program, and it was kind of like a mismatch of everything. It was. <laughs> We like to call it an experimental course. <laughs> it and it didn't last for long. I think the college only offered it for maybe four or five years, but it was like graphic design, photography, web design. There was audio production. There was video editing. There was um, 
like animation and game design like it was just so many things and they were just like all right here's all the things now choose right but we weren't really fully trained like in a four-year program in like one of those disciplines so a lot of the people who graduated just like floundered and didn't know what to do with themselves afterwards but I was just like okay I'm gonna pick one graphic design I was the one that I could make money at that I knew and then as I was doing graphic design I worked for a company couple companies who were like well we also want a website and it's like oh sure I'll I, I know some website stuff and maybe I'll, I'll go down that path. And then the more I did it, the more I really loved being able to marry that, the look of things with the functionality of websites. So I started moving more towards doing web design as my primary offering. And then as the, you know, the web landscape and technologies progressed, we got so much more automation and all these cool tools and platforms that started coming up. And I just started loving this whole network and integrating things together and then being able to have technology take over a lot of the heavy lifting in my client's business. Because a lot of the times they'd be like, oh, well, we want to do this marketing technique. And I'd be like, great. How many people do you have on your team? And they'd be like, well, two. And I'd be like, ah, we can't do that. <laughs> but then as these new platforms came out, I was like, oh, sweet. Well, we can now connect, you know, your email platform to say repurpose.io and like have you know, this tool take over and then Zapier came out and completely changed my life. <laughs> so give us, give me an example, like give me an example of someone. Cause I think this is so valuable to so many people. Um, and, and my specialty is that micro business where you do have a small team. Most of the money is like stuff you use for living expenses, you know, like that kind of, um, starting up phase. Give me an example of, you know, someone who was like, okay, I want to do X, what's X? And then how are you able to get them to do it without the heavy expenses and staff? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this actually worked. One of my kind of main services that I offer is creating a content machine. So a lot of the times when, especially when you're a tiny business and you're just you and maybe one other person trying to get all of that content out on social media and we get like, oh, I want to have a podcast. I want to have a video show. I want to be on YouTube. I have to be on my blog. I, you know, I post however many times a day on social media and coming up with all of this content is exhausting and is so time consuming. So I kind of followed the thread on, on one like random blog post I, I found and I was like, there's gotta be a way to use both technology and just really good strategy to repurpose content in a way that makes it easier to create all these different things. So eventually I've come up with a way to repurpose one Facebook Live into a YouTube video, a IGTV episode, a blog post, a Medium article, a LinkedIn article, and about, you know, between six and eight different social media posts, just from like an eight to 10 minute Facebook live. How? <laughs> the big heavy lifter is that tool I mentioned, repurpose.io. So what does it do? I never heard of it. I'm actually very excited to check it out. Oh, you will love it. It's an amazing tool. So repurpose.io, it basically is a listener and it listens to inputs and it changes it to a different output. So it'll check for a new Facebook Live, it'll grab that recording and it'll say, save it to Google Drive. It'll also be able to, and you're setting up separate workflows. Mm -hmm. So, and then it'll say, okay, if there's a new video in this Google Drive folder, take that video, 
add, uh, you know, strip the audio out of it and save it into this other folder. If this other folder has a new audio file in it, grab that audio file, stick these two bumpers on the beginning and end of it, and publish it to Libsyn, who then publishes it to iTunes and all the different podcast platforms. And then, you know, if this new video is in this folder, then take it, repurpose it into a vertical video that you can then use for IGTV and put these headlines on the top and the bottom. You can also upload captions that it'll put in for you. And it's just through, I think there's about eight to 10 different little workflows that I do. And by the end of it, it's just amazing. You do one live and you have all of this content just shot out the other end. It's amazing. That is super cool. And then let's say how do you tell it the, the meme to put on top and bottom or does it have like a default setting or do you feed it all the basic information and then it just does, it's, it's like a built-in full-time VA position. Instead of having a human do all of that different editing, it's a workflow to do all the different um, editing. Yeah, totally. So you do have the option of having it just do everything automatically. And what it'll do is it'll just take the title that you put in for your Facebook Live or or the, t the file name and use that as its headlines in various places. Or you can do it manually and enter, you know, a more robust description. And if you're a little bit more persnickety about wording and stuff like that, you can manually edit it. I love that word, persnickety. It's a great persnickety. word. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great word. Okay, that's super cool. I like that. And does it work? Because here's my curiosity. Um, what I've seen is that when you repurpose content without thinking through, I teach social media as a party. They're all different kinds of parties. Um, and so it's not just the format that has to fit the medium. It's the style. It's the messaging. So the way I would, the way I, I talk on my Instagram stories, even my IGTV, my LinkedIn posts are different. And often if I'm recording something, let's say I'm doing video for both, I'll record the LinkedIn version and then I'll record a separate recording often on the same day for the Instagram version because mm -hmm. the tonality is different. The style of LinkedIn is just much more professional. The Instagram is much more chatty. Um, I don't do Facebook because I don't have patience. Um, but, <laughs> but if I did, it would be, um, I feel like saying more schmoozy, you know, or like Instagram is chatty. Facebook is like, you know, more like, uh, what do they call it? DMC. <laughs> yeah, deep, meaningful conversation. So it'd be like, you know, even more extensive um, than the rest of them. And so how does using a tool like this solve for that? Solve for making sure that each piece of content is a match, not only in, in technicalities for each platform, but in content style. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, you do have to kind of keep that in mind. Like what I like to do is for my, uh, Package okay, but I'm in the middle of my tree. Okay, sorry, my young one. That's the best part of it. No, can we can we break here for a second? I don't know if you guys noticed, but um, Gabrielle just had a delicious small person come in. I didn't I didn't see her, but I heard the, the little person voice. Um, to me, again, I feel like you know where we're moving. It's 2020. You know, 20 years ago, that would be unprofessional and like, you know, how could you call yourself a professional with interruptions like that? And today people are like, forget that garbage. Like, we don't want to work until we die and not see our families. And to me, one of the most amazing things about being an entrepreneur is, is that ability. You know, that, yeah, your kid can come interrupt you, ask you something you're around. What? Oh, these little guys are the reason that I started my business, right? I didn't want to be exactly. off working corporate. I wanted to be here with them. 
Exactly. And that's the whole point. And to have it be a, do you remember there was this viral video, I feel like it was a year ago, of this guy who was on an international conference call. And, and his like kids this, came in the he, back. He's like being yeah. interviewed like on the news and kicking his head in the slide. It went viral. These people were like, wow. And I feel like that's, but that's the whole point almost. You know, when I had my last kid, he's two and a half already now. Um, but I remember someone said to me like, oh, like, so what are you doing? I said, well, you know, right now I'm just bringing him to the office. And he's like, bring him to the office? I'm like, well, let me see. My company, my office, my baby. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. what I'm doing. And I brought a babysitter with me and like she'd take care of him down the hall. And that, that's the whole point. Otherwise, why do I need the headache going to pay my own salary? Exactly. Okay, and the grants. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and really, I mean, you should be building a business to sustain your life and your life should be what you want it to be. It shouldn't be anybody else's design, anybody else's prescription. And the business that I wanted meant that I wanted to stay home with my kids, right? So that I didn't make that mistake or not even a mistake. I, my kids didn't relive the childhood that I had where my mother was always gone. So that was me breaking the cycle and that was my decision. So yeah, my business has to fit around tiny little kids making interruptions as I'm doing podcast interviews and, you know, having to drive the kids back and forth to school. And sometimes there's interruptions and we just roll with it. I mean, I had a hilarious client call the other week where my kids were home from, uh, I think it was Christmas holidays or right before Christmas holidays. But either way, I was sitting there having a weekly client call with one of my favorite clients. Thankfully, they have a great sense of humor. And my kids burst into the door and started throwing cheese at me. <laughs> the most random odd thing that I don't even know where they came up with the idea but my clients just loved it and it, of course they didn't think any less of me from it and they just had a great old time laughing at it and to this day it's just like our, our little inside joke about throwing cheese at people I think that's hysterical. Have you ever gotten negative feedback on it? Like, I feel like the trend is so much the positive feedback, like what I said and what those clients said. Have you ever had someone, you know, kind of call you out on it in a not good way? I had one and she never actually became a client because her reaction. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. mm, if you're not good with this, then, you know, we're not, we're not good together. So but, what happened? What was the story? Yeah. So I was in uh, just in my office here and we were having like a discovery call and she was telling me all about how her company was making all these millions of dollars and now they need to, you know, create this new funnel and going on and on and on. And the exact same thing happened. My youngest came in and needed something right now, you know, <laughs> it was probably juice or milk or something like that. And I was just like, okay, hold on two seconds. Let me just put my child in the other room. I'll get him what he needs and I'll be right back. And I came back and she was like, uh, I don't think that's acceptable. I think that if we're going to have a call, I need your attention hundred percent. And I was just like, I was totally taken aback. And I just said, well, I don't think this is going to work then because I'm sorry, I work from home and my kids are here. They're not in school. At that time, my youngest wasn't in school. And I said, so I work around my children and my clients understand that. She was like, well, okay. And she kind of like got over it in the call. But then after that point, I was just like, no. Yeah, no, not worth it. I hear that. I feel like I want to say like it's always the woman, you know? <laughs> because she's like, well, I'm not doing that. So you can't do that. Yeah. And it was but she was an older woman. So maybe she maybe she had that, you know, she had put her kids 
off to the sideline while she did the corporate thing and, and didn't understand someone else not doing the same. Yeah, and, and to each their own. And I feel like that's, that's the only answer. There is no one path. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to part one of this episode. Stay tuned for part two going live Thursday. And of course, subscribe. You do not want to miss this.